Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. <laughs> Empire of the Suns podcast. This is Kellen Olson checking in from a random hotel room in Dallas uh, the night before game three of the Western Conference semifinals. As you guys heard last two episodes, uh, Kevin Zerman away. So I've got some guests continuing to come in and here to talk with me about game two and then kind of look ahead to game three. Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns. Hey, I used to do that thing. What's up, man? You did used to do this show. I don't have as cool of a place to say that I'm reporting from. It is my second bedroom at my house in Scottsdale, but I guess just for the sake of uh, giving the field status, that's that's where I am right now. I don't I don't get to I don't get to go to away games like like the cool kids. <laughs> Kevin will be very excited that you made that joke because he always says like, "Yep, I'm just in my office." And I'm, you know, I'm just out here living the dream. Uh, Brennan, we mentioned games two and three, but five minutes before we were clicking record here, we're recording the six o'clock uh, Thursday night. The Suns just dropped a Dario Saric update. And here, here is, I'll read the whole deal. Uh, Suns announced that Dario Saric underwent a successful arthroscopic procedure to the meniscus of his right knee. He will c- continue to rehab and remain out indefinitely. Brendan, I'm an idiot, and I've also gotten like three hours of sleep and had a five-hour travel to all this all this stuff. Like, I just got kind of settled here, so my brain wasn't really working that well, but I, I don't think I would have caught this anyway. But as you were saying, this sounds like it's a new injury for Dario because it was, his to- it was a torn right ACL for him. He had surgery on it last year. Like, they, they got on that right away, and then his road continued, and we've been seeing him get closer and closer as it gone on. He told us that – I. I'm probably out for the year, but if something crazy happens where two or three bigs get hurt and we need someone, like who knows, maybe I'll play. Uh, but this sounds like it's a new injury. We'll ask Monty Williams tomorrow pregame, obviously, and just like how it happened, what exactly the deal is, if this is a follow-up on just the surgeries he's had before. I don't think it is. It sounds like it's a new injury, and that's just that's just awful for Dario Brennan. You just really feel for him. Absolutely. I mean, you you the reason that I lean toward it being new, and again, not to – you know, guess too much here, but it just feels like the way the update is phrased, which you just read, didn't say re-aggravation or re-tear or anything. And it's just, uh, I mean, even just the mental side of of getting back to an injury like that, and then to have another roadblock, such a long-term one, uh, it's a big bummer. Everybody that's a Suns fan knows Dario is the biggest sweetheart, the, the nicest possible dude, and, uh, was a big part of the Suns' success before he went out. So, on all counts, very bad. Uh, hopefully, we don't uh, strike such a, a somber tone with the rest of this podcast. But yeah, I mean, it's it sucks. There's no way around that. Yeah, we just talked to him two, three weeks ago, I want to say. I, I had the story up just about how watching him go from not being on the court, just walking in the facility, not seeing him at all, to walking in and seeing Dario in a chair under the basket shooting, because that was like the most he could do, to standing and taking shots to getting on the move to like being back in his shooting group as of a couple of weeks ago and just like almost fully there. It was just really um, eye-opening for me to watch someone actually make the steps 
uh, in front like that and just how long those types of we, – we just hear torn ACL all the time, right, Brennan? It's like one of the most yeah. common injuries we hear. But then you see the guy go through the nine-month year recovery process and the steps they have to go through. It's pretty brutal. So, yeah, we definitely feel for Dario. Uh, we'll have an update on next episode here and just let you guys know what the deal is exactly. But it, it does sound like it's it's a new injury for him, which is just – that that's a huge bummer for him. We'll get – We'll get that update out to you uh, next episode. But for now, let's hit on game two. Uh, Brennan, 129-109, Suns. They take a, I, I want to say, commanding 2 nothing lead just because of the way that that game went and how the series has gone as a whole. There are a lot of angles to take away from this that we can kind of break down and look ahead to in game three from what can continue, what will not. But, Brennan, where I want to start is just, is this has this been as dominating and of a two games for the Suns and as hopeless of a two games for the Mavericks as, as we think? Or... Are we kind of feeling that a little too much? What's your read on like where the series is at through two games here as we head to Dallas? Yeah, I mean, I'm ready to unveil the thought that I already had. I think you and I, I, I kind of whispered to you after game one, we were sitting in the post-game media room and it was like, does this kind of feel like Denver? And it, like you're not ready to put that out there publicly because it's been one game and you don't, it, it's such a disrespectful thing to say a team's going to get swept. It's just like rude. So you're like, let's wait it out. Let's see. Um, but the reason that I, I, I feel ready to kind of say, I don't know if it, it will be a sweep. Maybe Dallas wins game three, maybe they win game four. Um, it doesn't feel like this is going to be a long series though, because a couple of things. One, the Suns have this reputation because we've seen small ball work against them that, they are the team that's always kind of behind the eight ball on the adjustment side of things. It's like, oh, if you go small, what are the Suns going to do? It's like, well, A, they've kind of always had an answer for it. It's just, you know, maybe they're at 85% of themselves instead of 100. And B, they actually make the opponent adjust far more than they're ever needing to be the ones adjusting. And that's been my read on this. The, the, the hope for Dallas was like, you know, Maxi Kleba, he's this sort of versatile five man. He can play five. He can play four. What? He's going to be the chess piece here. We haven't really seen Kid go to that a lot, but even when he has, it it really hasn't worked. And the Suns have just enforced their will. They demand incredible execution out of their opponent, and Dallas just hasn't been able to rise to that. The other reason I feel like it has been as ugly as the total, you know, whether it's just like the plus minus across two games, the Suns have outscored the Mavs by, you know, 30 plus at this point, or however you want to look at it, the 2-0 nature of it, is that it just already feels like Dallas is running out of answers. I mean, usually if a team loses a couple, it's like, all right, well now we'll see X. I don't know what that is for Dallas right now. And and that's why I just feel like the Suns have answers left. The the Mavericks don't seem to, and the Suns have already won two games. So it, it is bleak for Dallas right now, but I'm sure Suns fans don't mind hearing that. In terms of the outline of how Denver looks as a team and how they run their offense and their defense and just their supporting cast, Kevin and I actually did compare it to the Denver series before the series even started. We didn't want to say it in the way where they were going to get swept and they're just like not up to the task of facing the Suns. We didn't want to go that far, but it just looked like that. And then one game in, uh, Sam, Mike, and I kind of talked about it and I was like, well, this is definitely more like the Nugget series than the Clipper series. It's just a matter of how much uh, how close is it to the Nuggets series as opposed to the Clippers series? And through two games, uh, I'm with you. Um, I ranted for two minutes, Brennan, on this podcast uh, two days ago about the ISO switch ball and how much I hate that being a part of basketball now and just how that is almost kind of the Mavericks' primary offense uh, with Luka. That's you can take the, the almost out. It is. Yeah, and, and the, the interesting thing, of course, that we don't really know is like how much of that is what Luka wants to do, how much of that is what Kid wants to do. 
it's a really interesting part whenever that kind of comes out and just becomes a full part of what a team does. And and we can talk about like how, how good or bad that is for Dallas overall, but they, it's, it's really simple for them. They just need Brunson Dinwiddie to, Dinwiddie to be better. Uh, Brunson shoots three of 12 in this game. Dinwiddie three of 10. Both of them did not have good game ones. They did not have good game twos again. And to what we're talking about, Brendan, how this kind of series, this series feels, Luca gets the jumper going in game two like he didn't in game one. I think he had 24 in the first half, I want to say, after having 26 in the first half of game one. They yeah. shoot 10 of 20 from three, and they're only up two, while Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Chris Paul are all in single digits. Every member of the Suns is in single digits except for Jay Crowder, who has 15, and they're only up two. And you're kind of looking at that and saying, okay, like if the Suns just reset here, and they're going to be fine. And then what, what we saw was more of just – the hardest mental reset I've ever seen, I guess, because the way that they responded in the second half, they go at Luca every single play defensively. Mikel Bridges guarding him is like, okay, I'm done with the soft switches. I'm going to fight through the screens. We're going to throw a trap out there at him every now and then as well. And then Chris Paul goes nuts in the fourth. Devin Booker goes nuts in the fourth. Brennan, have you seen a game yet where you've been there and watched Chris and Devin shoot the ball and they're not even hitting the rim? That was the one thing that stood out to me watching it. It's like they're not even touching anything. The ball's just going straight through. And it was just this zone that all of them were in. And it was it was just really honestly kind of hard to watch because it felt like Dallas had this really encouraging season. I was reading a lot of the Dallas-sided stuff coming into the series and most of their I saw like a prediction site from uh, the Dallas Morning News who has like three or four riders over there to cover the team. And all of them were saying in seven, basically, I believe, but just either seven and seven or Mavs and seven. And this is a team, really new team after Porzingis. And there's a lot of hope around it. And they're just getting clobbered, Brendan. It's, yeah. it's brutal. No, and that's part of what I, I was kind of getting at, which is like you saw a lot of people feeling heading into this series, like you've got to give – Luca is so great. You got to give him at least like two games, right? I mean, that would that, and that's another reason it feels similar to the Denver series. And I, I think the lesson we're learning is the Suns. I mean, the, the big thing that I did in, in my podcast after the game last night was like the Suns' best players fit together and play both sides. And sometimes it's that simple. I mean, right now it's hard to even say who Dallas' the second best player has been uh, in this series, which is its own problem, but. Luca in the first halves of these games in game one, he scored like 15 of his 45 were in that fourth quarter mismatch where it, it, it was hard to know if any of it was real. Then in the first half of game two, he does a lot of his damage on pull-up threes, which is a, a shot that we kind of know him for, but he doesn't actually take a lot of, and it's still a really hard shot to make. So it's another thing where you're kind of like, that doesn't feel replicable so even within his incredible performances you can poke some holes because of the way that it's happening and then obviously seven turnovers he doesn't really feel like he's elevating his teammates and that's one side of the ball but then the defensive side of the ball as you said Booker and Paul you can never allow them to get into a zone like that and they again are able to take their game to another level because they actually fit together because you're seeing them run things still late in games. They are running offense. Yes, they're doing it to, to go at Luke on a switch, but they're doing it in creative ways that we're seeing the Mavericks, like you said, throw some different defensive looks at them. And Dallas just doesn't have the personnel to pull it off. So 
I, I, I haven't seen a lot of times when it looks like that with Paul and Booker. And to say that about the second game two of the second round, like teams are not supposed to be getting better at this point in the season necessarily. You're supposed to see them challenged. And I agree. It, it did end up coming down to like, this is pretty depressing on the Mavs side. Like they should be putting up a better fight. And I mean, I guess going into game three, them being at home, role players play well at home is I guess the, the trademarked phrase come playoff time in the NBA. I don't know how much I count on that, but I guess that's sort of what you root for because it's been Luca on offense, not a lot on defense. And that's about it. It really is about it. The most um, telling thing for me, Brennan, is that you're going into game two as Dallas. What's the one thing you have to do? You have to get Brunson going, and they could. So, I and, and I, again, I don't know how much of that was due to his foul trouble for the second straight game. I don't know how much of that was due to what they were running on offense. I don't know. But the fact that they weren't able to get him going or Dinwiddie, and it was the same story for them in terms of production. Luca went nuts. They had one shooter have a good game. It was Bullock. And then Dinwiddie was the third guy to get to to get to double digits, but his wasn't through a great game by any means. Uh, in terms of, I, I wonder. You, obviously, you lose this game for your Dallas. You're down three zero. Series basically over. That's uh, these three O's are uh, these two O game threes are always fascinating when it's a team coming back home and they've got like a winner go home kind of game in front of them. Really, I wonder how much of the kitchen sink that Jason Kidd is going to throw. Is he going to start Maxi Kleba? Is he going to like take Dwight Powell out of the rotation entirely and just go really small? I think that one thing uh, I haven't gone back and watched the game yet because I, I literally <laughs> went home from the game, slept, woke up, went to the airport, went through my travel day, got here, went to practice eight. And then uh, I'm talking to you now. So I'm going to go back and watch, but I want the one thing I want to see Brian is how Deandre Ayton was involved and just where they were able to get in the ball, how much of that was Dallas and how much of that was Phoenix. Because if it was Dallas, that's a really encouraging win for them that they were able to neutralize Aiton a bit. But if it was just on Phoenix more, like I'm kind of suspecting kind of on DA himself, then I don't know if that's a good takeaway for them. But I think going into game three, there are like serious rotation tweaks that they have to look into. And, and the thing, Brendan, that I was asking Monty and Cam Johnson about a practice today was just how they handle seeing multiple defensive looks. Because I think if we're going to see a kitchen sink kind of throwing by Jason Kidd, it's going to be, all right, we're going to do zone. We're going to do this switching. We're going to do this dropping. I think they're going to throw in multiple defenses for sure and in a way they didn't in the first two games. Yeah, what was interesting is I, I saw some chatter about how do the Mavs try to take – you have to take something away, I think, is a good starting point because after that game, too, it doesn't feel like anything outside of the point you just made about Aiton, although his foul trouble and the fact that the guards were hitting shots, I mean, that's a that's an easy top-level explanation, but I agree it's it's going to probably be a little more deep than that. You have to take something away from them, right? And at the beginning of game two, we saw them going actually at Brunson, even though Luca and his kind of breakdowns were the, the, the leading story everywhere after the game, they, the Sun scored their first five points by just having Mikhail Bridges go at Brunson. And so what a lot of people I, I kind of feel like are, are leaning toward is like, what if you actually take the quote unquote elite defenders, the, the long wings, Finney Smith, Bullock, et cetera, off of Paul or off of Booker, maybe use them more in help and switch situations and try to just stop the Suns from getting comfortable, from running their offense, from being able to create those openings that they're able to do. Because if you put 
Dorian Finney-Smith on Devin Booker, well, A, you know, he could just be neutralized by not even getting involved in the play sometimes. And B, uh, you know, you could get him screened off, like we saw with Paul and Booker going at Luca Paul especially. So that's an interesting thing for me going forward is do Dallas, does Dallas maybe try to, to, to utilize Finney-Smith or Bullock in a help role? Do they, do they try to limit the damage against... Uh, you know, by a guy like Bridges, who was also a pretty good assist man in both games one and two, making plays off of some of those drives that he has. Crowder's been doing that all season. We know the Suns can, but that's a little bit of where I might lean. I think the place I come back to when you're thinking about how does their defense do something here is Brunson's offense is one thing, like you said. I don't know if he has a place in the series defensively. I, I don't I don't know what you do there. He needs to be on the floor for you because he's one of your best players and Dallas is so, so thin already, but is there anybody you feel comfortable with him defending? Is there any place he can be on the floor where you don't feel like the Suns will take advantage of it? And that's what I mean about the Suns bringing elite execution and demanding that you put your best personnel on the floor. And to your point, Jason Kidd probably should have been desperate like the second half of game one. We shouldn't be talking about this now when the series is, on the verge of being over. It's, it's a bad place for the maps to be. And I don't, I don't, I don't know where they really go. It's a really good point on Brunson because you almost kind of forget how many pigeons they have on this team um, yeah. because they've got Luca, which we expected. Bertons is something I expected. They didn't quite turn to yet. When Bertons was in those streets in the first half, I was like, Mikel's got to get the ball here because Bertons cannot guard Mikel Bridges. I know this for a fact, like I don't need to see a couple pick and rolls to be sure. I know that's a fact. Um, but then Brunson too, like they could start targeting him as well. Uh, they haven't gone there yet, but when they were forcing balls, uh, when they were forcing passes to the second side, Brian, I think it was you that kind of tweeted like Brunson is the pigeon right now. And it's because yeah. the ball was swinging to the second side and then it was a six, one quote unquote, Brendan, uh, six, one guard closing out on six, six Mikel bridges with his really long arms. Like he's just got no shot with Mikel's skill set and his quickness and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I thought they were really in trouble there. I think to talk about the games more generally in terms of the way they flowed, this is going to sound really basic ABC analysis, Brennan, but I think it's a different game we haven't seen yet where the Mavericks actually score to start the game, and then they <laughs> yeah. make the Suns play against the set defense to start the game. Like, just these turnovers, and they're, they're bad misses, too, just like long misses that create runouts, and just the way they've started, Dallas has started both of these games there's definitely something there, I think, with just, okay, what if, what if this game is like seven to three Mavericks in the first two minutes? Like, how does that look for Phoenix's offense from there? I still think it looks pretty good for them, but we have yet to see it. And maybe Dallas's defense just needs to get more set. Uh, we yeah. saw Monty really mess with some stuff in game two. He threw Ish Wainwright on the court for a bit. There was weird foul trouble going on. Um, he, he went to just nine guys in the rotation until the foul trouble got crazy. Bismack Biombo had an awesome game. Um, Book and Chris Paul obviously were great. I thought, I think Jake Crowder's been outstanding in both of these games. That is exactly why he was not benched or uh, taken out of the starting lineup against New Orleans because he's a really good basketball player. And I think I, I mentioned this every week on this podcast. I don't care that I do. I think people are his biggest that he was, fan. I am, and I think he was either their third or fourth best player in the finals, depending on how you feel about it. I think you could even argue second if you want to, like, stare at the way that Chris was working with that hand and just how bad it was at times. Um, yeah. But with that in mind, Jay was awesome in that series, and it was this type of contribution where 
just every single smart play, the right defense, and, and just getting 50-50 balls, all that kind of stuff has been really, really great for him. Are, where are you at right now to kind of like wrap the episode, Brennan? Are you are you thinking sweep now, five, six? I predicted Suns and five before the series. I'm sticking there just because on that first point where I think Dallas just tripping over themselves in the first five minutes of the game, both of these games has really hurt them. And I, I think it's a different story if they're not able to do that. Maybe they'll just do that in all four games, Brennan. I don't know. But for now... <laughs> They're not going to – I don't think they're going to. And we could see a different – I think the Mavs will still get one here, but I will feel much differently uh, 26 hours from now uh, if we see a sort of similar game again because the, fool me once, fool me twice, uh, fool me three times. Shame. Shame on them. Um, but, yes. yeah, are you thinking sweep? Are you, even, are you elevating a bit or are you giving the Mavs a little bit of hope still? I don't have a lot of faith in the Mavs. I mean – because outside of play all the guys you're already playing 40 plus minutes, they don't have a lot of places to go. As I've said a couple of times in terms of the flow that you were talking about. Um, the crazy part of that to me. So yeah, the Suns go up nine Oh in both games, one and two, they go up 14 to four in game one, 14 to five in game two. It's been, it's felt like the games were, you know, veering toward over in the first half both times, although Dallas has, fought back to their credit uh they've started the games playing with really poor pace i think and i understand you know when the suns are scoring like they have it's it's hard to get into that rhythm it's the same thing you're saying would put the suns would would be faced with if dallas made some shots you you want to you know run off of misses and things like that to to get yourself comfortable but part of it again comes back to luca for me which is that he with those pull-up threes, with his ISO stuff, when he's going at somebody in terms of you know trying to get a switch and things, or if he's even just that kind of creaky half post-up, half drive stuff that he's he's really good at. But especially when it's a, a jumper, their floor balance can be really bad if they have two two players in the corner, somebody in the dunker spot, which when that lineup is out there to start games, it's going to be Powell. He's going to be in the dunker spot. And then maybe there's somebody up on the wing, but a lot of the time that might be Brunson. And then you're in a situation where your perimeter, your sorry, your transition defense is Luca, who just shot, and then Jalen Brunson. And so we've talked all year about the Suns being so good attacking some of those seals, some of those early points when they have a mismatch. Bridges and Aiton have both gotten really great at doing that, and the, the the Mavs are asking for that when they play that way to open games, and especially when those shots don't go in like they have not been going in. So like a lot of the things on offense for the Mavs, a little bit better flow, a little bit better structure seems like it would go a long way, but that's going to require guys to step up on your Crowder point. Uh, I think a good reminder of how integral he is to this team too, is Cam Johnson has not been effective against Luca whatsoever. That's probably been the, the, maybe the one kind of really surprisingly bad thing that, that we've seen from the Suns is that Cam has gotten cooked quite a few times on Luca already um, it's not something that I think will turn a game necessarily, but it, it does just speak to Crowder's importance and uh, the reason that the Suns' depth is so important. And 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 again, comes back to the Mavs not having a lot of those answers from a personnel standpoint. So yeah, I, I am. I'm feeling like it doesn't go more than five. Still, I agree with you. The playoffs are weird. Great players are great. If Luca scored 50 in game three and a, a few role players played better, fouls aren't as much of a problem. You can see the script for a close. Mavericks win it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody but uh, I don't think we go back to Dallas a second time 
Yeah, it would just take the Suns losing focus, and that's why I look back to the Pelican series and just say they're not going to let that happen again. They they let it happen once where they really just, like, lost it and then couldn't get it back until the series was over, basically. They had it in the first half of game one, and then they just lost it. Uh, I don't think that will happen anymore. My favorite stat from this that indicates that we're not dumb, Brendan, and we, we are seeing what we're seeing is that here are assist totals through two games in this series. Devin Booker has 12. Uh, Chris Paul also has 12. He actually has 11. Sorry. Uh, Luca has 15. So more than those guys, of course. But beyond that, Mikel Bridges is at 10. Campaign is at nine. And then at Jay Crowder with six is where you get to another Dallas Maverick. And that's Spencer Dinwiddie with six assists. Like just the ball movement, Dallas being below 20 assists in both these games, just a really bad sign for them. Nobody and besides not... Luca had more than two in game two. That's rough. They have a lot of guards. Like they have a lot of perimeter players. That should not happen. You're right. My favorite thing from game one was that the only other guy to have an assist besides Brunson, Dinwiddie, and Doncic was Milikina. <laughs> they, they found a way for other guys to be playmakers a bit, or at least just get assists in the last game. But they have no shot in the series if they don't get at least 20 assists. And I'm not saying that it has to be a couple of assists for Bullock and, and Finney Smith. If Luca has 13 assists, so be it. And that's how they get to 20, yeah. but they just need that number to get higher because the Suns are going to get 25 in their sleep against this offense or against this defense. And it's just going to be uh, really rough for them. Brennan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you were on locked on Suns. Uh, promote a way where people can find that and uh, all of your other work. Yeah, Locked on Suns is on YouTube. We are on every podcast platform, of course. And then you can follow me on Twitter if you are a person who lives there, at Clean 14 That's the best way to find uh, my, my musings, my work, all that good stuff as we uh, make our way through another playoff run. Brennan, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was it was nice to do this. I, hopping on Locked On, I haven't hopped on Locked On in a minute. I owe you one now, but uh, it, it'll be fun to uh, hop good. on there whenever I do eventually. Because uh, always great chatting with you. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, the plan, if you haven't been following already, we're podcasting the day after game, so that'll be Saturday. Uh, we are going to have two special guests on, and if you can tell by us having Sam and Mike on, you can guess the other duo that we're going to have on after that. Excited to have them on. Thanks again to Brennan for joining us, and we'll talk to you again in a bit. See ya.